Hello, and welcome to One World, One Health, where we take a look at some of the biggest problems facing our world. I'm Maggie Fox. This podcast is brought to you by the One Health Trust, with bite-sized insights into ways to help address challenges such as infectious diseases, climate change, and pollution. We take a One Health approach that recognizes that everything on this planet, the animals, plants and people, and the climate and environment, are all linked. A great example of how the world is one planet is flu. It doesn't really recognize borders and it spreads from birds to mammals to people and back again. Migrating wild birds carry the virus with them and often spread it to domestic poultry flocks. People raising animals catch it and can spread it to other people. One of the most worrying strains of flu is H5N1 avian influenza, first detected in China in 1996. It spread across the world and infected millions of domestic chickens and other poultry. As a result, hundreds of millions of domestic birds have been killed to try to stop the spread. It rarely infects people, but when it does, it's deadly. H5N1 bird flu has infected just under 900 people globally in this century and killed just over half of them. Efforts to control it have failed as it's often spread by migrating wild birds as they cross the globe. Like most influenza strains, it can evolve and mutate quickly, and H5N1 is being found in an increasing array of mammals, including seals, ferrets, dogs, and cats. So a dedicated group of scientists are watching this flu as it changes and spreads. In this episode, we're chatting with Dr. Vijay Krishna Danasekaran, head of the Pathogen Evolution Lab and an associate professor at the Hong Kong University School of Public Health. He led a team that's found some startling changes in the patterns of H5N1's evolution. Vijay, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about the changes you've been seeing in avian flu. We've seen several changes that has occurred in the highly pathogenic H5 virus of avian influenza. One of the key things is there has been an intensification of the virus's activity globally since 2021 which has led to mass mortality in wild birds and poultry, as well as several incidental infections in mammals, which have caused mass mortality events in animals such as seals. We also found that the origins of these resurgence events, these massive resurgence events in wild birds, have changed. We usually observe these resurgence origins of these viruses occurring mainly in Asia, which, however, more recently we see that these resurgence events are happening in Europe, and potentially in Northern Africa as well. So essentially, there's been a geographic expansion. We also see changes in the ecology and the virology of the viruses. The genomic analyses that we did indicates that the, you know, the previous resurgence events, such as the 2016 one and all before that, occurred in Asia, where H5 uh, is endemic in the region in poultry. However, in 2020-2021, uh, we found some mutations that changed the HA structure and the attachment and the receptor binding of the virus as well. And these viruses appear to have now reassorting in wild birds or mixing gene segments that are existent in wild birds and that appear to be spreading much easier in wild birds. So essentially, there's been an adaptation across the domestic birds as well as the wild bird in interfaces. Overall, I think that these changes in avian flu highlight the need for prioritizing elimination strategies in domestic birds, which have been the main source of these resurgence events, and that is quite crucial to limit future episodics. What do you think is driving these changes in the virus? 
we see that the viruses are acquiring an ability to spread among wild birds much more easier than previously observed. Whereas previously, even though there's a wild bird resurgence event that happens, usually it lasts for a few months and then it just dies down. Whereas in more recent resurgence events, we've seen continuous transmission of these viruses among wild birds. For the first time, it has spread to the Americas, especially it has been detected in North America in previous years. But this time, it appears to have continued to circulate for nearly two years. And most recently, the virus has been detected in Antarctica for the first time ever. And can we talk a little bit about how these viruses swap genetic material to evolve so quickly? You mentioned the word earlier, reassortment. Can we talk a little bit about those processes? Well, absolutely. So influenza viruses have a segmented genome which means they have eight genes and these are segmented in the sense that they are completely independent from each other. And they, each of these genes produce some proteins, one or more proteins. And so because of this division into multiple segments, when two different influenza viruses infect the same host and end up infecting the same cell, they have the ability to swap gene segments. And it can happen more commonly in various hosts. But there are some factors which I think can facilitate reassortment to happen. First is co-infection, which I just mentioned. The second is compatibility of these segments, which is under intense study at this moment, where if the virus, if the, the genes come together within the same virus particle and if they can function together, then there's a successful reassortment event, which means that it can transmit from one part to another. Another factor which affects the high rate of reassortment in wild birds is because of the high genetic diversity of influenza. Wild birds are the natural reservoirs and has a huge diversity of influenza viruses. So this increases the likelihood of reassortment events. So reassortment actually plays a significant role in the rapid evolution of influenza. Unlike just mutations, it's one mechanism of evolution where the shuffling of uh, segments actually can lead to the emergence of new strains with novel combinations of genetic segments. And these new viruses can have unpredictable risk in different hosts. And that is the most important concern. It is also important to note that reassortment acts as in different levels in different hosts. I mentioned that wild birds have a very high diversity, hence there's lots of reassortment. Similar thing happens in swine influenza, where we have lots of viruses circulating in pigs. But reassortment happens to much lesser in humans because we have a limited number of seasonal influenza viruses circulating in humans. So in other words, there's an animal, it's infected with multiple different strains of a virus. And these viruses, it's, it, I think I've heard it described as viral sex. It's the equivalent. They are actually trading little pieces like, here, I'll trade my arm for your arm and it'll make you a better virus. That's exactly right, actually. I mean, so one of the very famous examples is the previous pandemics, not the 2009 one, but the previous pandemics in 1968 and the 1957 virus. And these viruses, which caused a pandemic, essentially had many of the gene segments from previously circulating seasonal influenza viruses and some genes which were newly introduced into the human population. And that's one of the biggest concerns with influenza, where we have this H5N1 virus and we don't need all the gene segments. The virus does not need transfer all the gene segments and cause a pandemic. All we need is a human seasonal strain to acquire the H5 gene, the H5HA gene, and that readily generates a highly pathogenic, but still virus, which is readily adapted to humans. Can you tell us a little bit about the interactions between wild and domestic birds around the world? Yeah, so interactions between wild and domestic birds actually plays a very crucial role in the ecology and transmission of uh, avian influenza viruses. 
some of the key points of interactions are they could be uh, contacts in shared environments such as uh, wetlands, agricultural areas, live bird markets, and depends on the region as well. For example, in Asia and Southeast Asia, there's lots of interactions with domestic poultry in all of these places. In wetlands where birds or ducks are reared in these wetlands, there are several agricultural areas where wild birds arrive. There's also live bird markets which play a crucial role. These shared spaces provide opportunities for direct and indirect contact between the bird populations. Many wild bird species migrate across long distances and therefore it creates opportunities for interactions with wild birds. Wild birds, particularly aquatic birds, are considered as natural reservoirs, so they can carry viruses without any signs and symptoms. Whereas once it, it transmits to poultry, it can actually increase the amount of virus that's shed because these birds are getting sick. And that's another way where these interactions can actually amplify the viruses that are circling wild birds by poultry. Finally, environmental contamination. Wild birds can shed viruses in their feces, which can contaminate the environment, including water sources that are used for the poultry industry. The environmental contamination can actually contribute to the indirect transmission of avian influenza between wild and domestic birds. So therefore, I mean, taking all this into consideration, understanding and monitoring the interaction between these birds is important for airway surveillance and control. And by studying these interactions, we can actually develop better controlled strategies. You mentioned that H5N1 had recently been found in Antarctica for the first time. So how did the wild birds carry it there? They fly there and I guess they're pooping, right, is what you're saying. Absolutely. I mean, so, I mean, they, the, most of the transmission in birds happens via the water, the gut. I mean, because viruses are infecting primarily the gut of these birds. And it's a gastro-infection in these birds. And they basically are shed by their feces and they can actually get infected when the other birds can consume this water. Asia has always been the traditional hotspot for avian influenza emergence for various reasons that you've mentioned. But now you said you're seeing Europe playing a bigger role? That's right. Our study really suggests that Europe is actually playing a bigger role in the emergence and spread of these viruses, particularly the highly pathogenic H5N1 virus. Asia was traditionally considered a hotspot for avian influenza emergence, and we show a shift in the epicenter of H5 viruses beyond Asia. And this has actually led to this because of the increasing persistence in wild birds. And uh, we have also found that these viruses have evolved to reassortment in wild birds in Europe and still undergo further reassortment in these viruses. So we actually have pinpointed potentially mid to eastern Europe region where these viruses could have potentially emerged. And we exactly couldn't pinpoint the host in Europe yet, but we think that it could have been a mix between domestic and wild birds. So we can't pinpoint what's happening in Europe that's helping the virus evolve better there. That's right. I mean, so Europe arguably has one of the best avian influenza virus surveillance, but it is targeted towards certain countries who do a much better job than other countries in Europe, especially I think the avian flu surveillance is much lower in Eastern European countries where we, I don't think we continually monitor H5N1 viruses or other viruses in these poultry systems. And the evolution or the emergence of these latest H5N1 virus, which caused this huge resurgence event, happened really quickly. And it's only after the resurgence events happen, people start collecting these samples over time. So we can't really quite distinguish exactly how much of the interaction is happening between wild birds and domestic birds. And just like what I've mentioned previously, that is an active study which is undergoing at this moment. And I think we should have a much better idea in the near future. So what do your findings mean for agencies that are trying to control the spread of avian influenza? 
I can think of several implications for agencies, actually, and organizations involved in controlling. First is enhancing surveillance. Our study clearly emphasizes the need for enhanced surveillance efforts, not only in traditional hotspots such as in Asia, but also in other regions, including Europe and Northern Africa, many other regions now that the virus is spreading globally. We, it also shows that we need international cooperation, given the global nature of the virus spread. We also think that we need more targeted control measures rather than the current control measures are aimed to minimize the mortality burden in the poultry industry mainly rather than an elimination focus of removing the virus completely. So we have evidence from Hong Kong, for example, and some other Southeast Asian countries as well, where they use vaccination plus various other measures to actually eliminate the highly pathogenic avian influenza virus. And those things must be adopted quite readily. We also need some sort of research and development into making the vaccines much better, more potent vaccines, which can actually uh, limit transmission rather than just reduce mortality of the virus. And we also, of course, need a risk communication, effective risk communication uh, based on which is underpinned the surveillance. Are you seeing any greater risk for people in, in these changes that you're observing in the virus? Okay, so the avian influenza, it does pose a potential risk to human health, especially the highly pathogenic avian influenza viruses. And this arise, the risk for people mainly arises through close contact with infected birds, particularly in situations where biosecurity measures are really lacking or very low. And people, you know, working in markets, like bird markets and poultry industry who are very close contact in this, with these birds. However, it's important to note that human-to-human transmission of avian influenza viruses is quite rare. And it's typically just limited to very close contacts. And it's been extremely rare. And there's no evidence or there's no sustained human-to-human transmission of avian influenza viruses yet. However, because of the potential to undergo genetic changes leading to increased transmissibility in humans, I think it's like it, the risk of the reassortment and a potentially pandemic virus em- emerging is always there. Vijay, thank you so much for joining us and explaining all this to us. Well, thank you so much for having me. Listeners, thank you for joining us, too. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. You can learn more about this podcast and other important topics at OneHealthTrust.org. And let us know what else you'd like to hear about at OWOH at OneHealthTrust.org. Until next time. Thank you for listening to One World, One Health, brought to you by the One Health Trust. I'm Ramanan Lakshminarayan, founder and president of the One Health Trust. You can subscribe to One World, One Health on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at One Health Trust, One Word, for updates on One World, One Health, and the latest in research on One Health issues like drug resistance, disease spillovers, and the social determinants of health. Finally, please do consider donating to the One Health Trust to support this podcast and other initiatives and research that help us promote health and well-being worldwide. Until next time.